The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends. Thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we will cover Austin FC's League's Cup loss to Mazatlan. We'll preview the upcoming League's Cup match against FC Juarez. And then we will also talk about uh, the possibility of a new center back and some other Austin FC news. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley, and I, for the second year in a row, are coming to you from a condo in Destin, Florida. So happy to be by the beach, but also happy to be joining you and talking a little bit of soccer. Um, I think you had, like, family game time uh, last week. Is that right? You want to share that experience? That's right. The last uh, few years, we've been keeping our nieces for uh, a few days in the summer, and it's generally just been the two older ones. Now the youngest one is five years old. And that has been the rule that when you turn five, you can start coming during the summer. And so we had a 14 year old, an 11 year old and a five year old with us from Thursday until this morning and took them to the game with us. Um, not, not the most fun game to go to with uncle Landon. Uh, I probably taught them a few words that they hadn't heard very often (laughs) before. (laughs) Um, so that was a little disappointing, but overall the, the weekend was great uh, and we had a nice time and they didn't really care that much about the game anyway. So that was good. Did y'all feel exhausted this morning? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we we do not have kids. And so this is a major uh, lifestyle shift for us whenever they come to town, especially with all three of them. But like the 14 year old, like she's like pushing towards adulthood and we can like I don't know. We, we we can treat her a little differently than the others, but a five-year-old running around the house is a different story, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I remember those days. Um, all right, let's jump into some Austin FC news. So let's talk a little bit about the All-Star game. We had John Gallagher there representing Austin FC. We had Damian Loss there in the goalie wars during the skills competition. And then Irvin Torres played in the MLS next All-Star game. So in the the big show, MLS lost five nil to Arsenal. Um, did you get did you get a chance to watch this, Jeremiah? I mean, I had to watch. Yes, I got the chance to watch it. I did not enjoy what I saw at all. Yeah, I mean, we but I saw we, some of it. We talked about like whether or not this was a a good idea to play a big European team, and I was like kind of defending. this this setup and i want to take all of that back (laughs) this was (laughs) i think they probably got what they wanted as far as like engagement goes because i like i said like last week for mls fans like engaged mls fans i think the like east west thing would be more fun or like even the league and mickey's thing i think that was a lot of fun as well and the players were really engaged in that and it's a competitive game but uh, I know in the past playing these European teams, they've played B teams, rotated squads or whatever, and come in and not really tried. And MLS could kind of compete a little bit. Arsenal was not pulling punches in this game. They played a really strong 11 and they were giving it their all during this game, which was uh, what led to the end result, which was 5 0. And I mean, it, it wasn't a, a very good advertisement for MLS in general. No, I felt like that was the worst possible of all the outcomes we discussed um, for MLS. And 
I did. I wondered a little bit. It was good to see that Arsenal was trying because at first I was like, man, if they roll out a B team and like clobber MLS that way, that's really yeah. <laughs> like a, a bad, it's a really bad effort. But um, John Gallagher got the captain's band in his time on the field. Were you surprised to see that? I was. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Like for a guy who's not a big name in the league, um, I I haven't heard anything about like what the story behind that was. I'd be curious to know if he just came into camp and uh, Rooney was impressed by him or what the deal was there. But to see him wearing the arm brand, yeah, it, it, it made me proud of him because he's a guy that like, again, doesn't get a ton of recognition, has fought for everything he's gotten. And so to see him get to wear that on the field was was really cool. Um, as far as his performance goes, uh, I thought he did okay. He was fine. Um, I think there are some of the MLS guys who who stood out and and probably like people tuning in just to watch Arsenal saw some of them were like, oh, this this guy's okay. And like the first, I don't know, the first little stretch of the game, they didn't look so it wasn't like an embarrassing game yet, but um it kind of <laughs> turned into that after a little while. Gallagher's performance was fine. He was okay. Um, there was involved in a couple of the goals. I think the first one, maybe you can chalk up to just like not playing with these guys and kind of being out of position. The next one was a, uh, a cross that just kind of went over his head and fell behind him. And the guy behind him finished it. Uh, but I mean, he, he did fine. Like, I don't think he, he specifically embarrassed himself. I think it was, that was kind of a team effort, but <laughs> John did fine. And it, in the end, it was still cool to see him wear the armband and, and get to represent the team there. Well, let's, we got some uh, news about a potential player coming in. This is from Tom Bogert. Oh, wait, so he, I, I wanted to say one more oh, thing about the all-star game. Damien oh, Loss okay. was taking the goal, uh, the goalie wars very seriously. <laughs> Some of the guys were kind of joking and laughing and Damien Loss got really upset about like was like yelling at the officials at one point during the final. And then like the other guy was kind of joking and laughing. Damien Loss was dead serious and like the cameras were kind of like coming up to a, a close up at one point and he like waved him away. He's like, get out of here. I'm trying to win. <laughs> and so I thought that was funny. And then uh, Irvin Torres in the MLS next game, he played the second half. And uh, like he was playing as kind of a deep six and not really getting to join in the the attacking five as often, but uh, showed pretty well. I thought I thought he looked looked solid and especially this was like not by age groups. And so this was all MLS next players, including some like U19 players and some guys who have spent most of the year in uh, next pro playing um, like second team minutes. And so to see Irvin Torres, one of the youngest players out there, still just 15, I think, playing with these guys and and looking like he belongs and looking like a good player, that was really great. So uh, a good showing from him. Okay, now we can move into transfer news. Transfer news. This is from Tom Bogert. This is supposedly Matt Hedges will be coming in from Toronto for 500K in GAM. Um at least three-time All-Star, so this, there's there's our All-Star game tie. Um, you, I think, have done a fair amount of research on Matt Hedges, so talk about what kind of player he is and maybe how he would fit into the Austin roster as it, it's constructed right now. Yeah, so Matt Hedges, a uh, 33-year-old center back, six foot three, uh, he's drafted by FC Dallas out of University of North Carolina as... The uh, the Freddie Kleeman pick is what I'm going to call it, which is the number 11 overall pick. <laughs> um, uh, 
Do you want to guess who was taken immediately before him in that draft, Jeremiah? Which Austin FC, me? which Austin FC player was taken immediately before him in that okay. draft? Uh, Jossie Zardes. It was Ethan Finley at number oh. 10 by the Columbus oh. crew. Um, That's a nice bit of trivia. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, he played 10 seasons at FC Dallas, is their all-time appearances leader, and was a captain for eight of those 10 years. Uh, just last year at the end of the season was listed as one of the um, like the most sought after free agents in the league. Uh, and on, I think MLS soccer.com put out a list and had kind of ranked free agents. And he was second on that list only after um, Alexander Collins, who we talked a lot about on this show, but yeah, Matt Hedges was, was second on that list and ended up going to Toronto. Uh, by all accounts, I haven't gotten to watch a ton of Toronto this year, but by all accounts, when he's on the field, he has been their best defender by far, even in kind of a mess of a team and a rotating cast around. And they've had, uh, defenders get injured. They've had guys, um, I think Lorea's loan ended recently and a lot of players moving in and out of the, of the 11. And when he was in there, he's looked like their best defender by, by a pretty wide margin, which goes to say like, why is a guy like him available right now? Um, like, do, do you have any thoughts on, on why he might be available Jeremiah after he just joined Toronto not long ago? Yeah, so do we know the details of his contract with Toronto? I mean, we're assuming it's multi-year, right? So it's, it's not like through through twenty-four with an option year in twenty-five. Okay, so it's not that a club's just trying to get what they can out of a guy before he's gone. Um, I don't know. That's that roster is a complete mess, and they need some flexibility. So maybe that seems like a he's an attractive piece you can offload to somebody else um, to clear some space and add some additional gam. Um, maybe that's it, and also. The entry bug thing, like you said, he's great when he's on the field. Uh, and he has not been on the field a lot this year, which worries me a little bit coming into Austin, where there's a whole rash of guys who are not on the field a lot. Yeah, um, I, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I think there's maybe some uh, reading some stuff from Toronto. There's a thought that maybe he was one of Bradley's guys that he brought in and they've cleared out a few of those pieces uh, that maybe were picks for Bob Bradley once Bradley gets fired. And it's also, I think because of his age, that's kind of like a win now kind of signing as far as like a build for the future kind of signing. And so if you're a Bradley guy and it's a win now signing and Bradley's gone and you're not winning now, then yeah, maybe the gam is, is more valuable at this point than whatever he can offer you on the field. And so to get 500 K gam for a guy you signed for free six months ago is, is pretty good business on their end. And I'm guessing maybe with all the mess there, a guy who's lived in, Texas, his whole career moved far away from friends and family and is playing in what seems to be a pretty bad team culture. I wouldn't be surprised if Matt Hedges was pretty eager to get out of there as well. If he, yeah, if he just wants out, that makes sense too. Um, so Matt Hedges is probably not a household name to like newer MLS fans, people who have just started paying attention since Austin FC started, but He's like been quietly one of the best defenders in the league for pretty much his whole career. He's um, I, I was looking through MLSsoccer.com, finding just like little stories about him throughout the past. And one of the articles was a list of 10 players that you can't imagine in a, playing in another Jersey. 
And he was listed on there as like, I can't imagine him playing in anywhere but FC Dallas, which is pretty funny now that he's being linked with Austin. Uh, and out of that list, five of those players have now moved on. And one of them, this was long enough ago, one <laughs> of those players was Matt Beasler. And so Austin is potentially getting two of the guys that uh, that this article writer, I th- it might have been Matt Doyle, but was like, couldn't imagine playing for another team, which is pretty funny. Um, talking about his being prone to injury, he's really only missed significant stretches of games like once, I think twice now in his career. And it's not been the same injury over and over, which is maybe something to be hopeful about. Um, I think the concerning part there is that this latest one has kept him out for a couple of different stretches during this season, the year in which he is 33 years old. And so let's hope that Austin FC looking into this is, is confident about, um, about his recovery in this. I know like, Sean Rubio probably still has some connections in Toronto. I'm sure other people in the Austin FC staff have connections there. And so hopefully they're doing their homework. And if this is going to go through that, they are confident that whatever this injury is, it's not anything super serious. Um, But I I know like looking back in the past, uh, like one of his recent out like outings this year was with a concussion. He had gotten a concussion, I think four or five years ago and missed a few games. And then other than that has not really missed a lot of time during his career. So I'm hoping that this is not like being injury prone and more just bad luck in this one season. Um, As far as like who he is as a player, like how exactly do you feel about like what problems he solves for this team? Yeah. I mean, one just talent and depth is obviously the biggest problem this team has its center back. Um, and especially with the news that we got about how much longer Vicenet is going to be out. Right. Cause it seems like this injury is going to be even longer than we thought. Um, so there's that, you know, I mean, seeing Kip be an adventure every time he's back there playing is sort of scary. So I would just think like just any, any warm body that's a talent at this point is an addition. Yeah. And talking about being, like being nervous when guys in the field, we, we talk about a lot of our guys like Julio Cascante, um, Leo Vison. And like the first thing we say about these guys is they're really good on the ball. And then the defense. And I think we're just talking about Austin FC in general is like the defense is a bit of an afterthought. Matt Hedges is a capital D defender. Like he, he is above average on the ball. He is quite good on the ball actually, but he is a defender. Like he knows what his job is and he's been quite good at it for the last 10 years. So uh, I I think there's a a slight concern about the age and like we talked about the injuries, but if, and when we have like the length of the contract is a little concerning as well. It's not that long, but when you get into having a guy, we've talked about this with Zardes, like a guy who just seemed to age overnight as soon as we signed him, and then if that happens to Hedges after this injury and we're locked into him for another year on a, a decent salary, which I think is like 770 some odd thousand, which for a guy of his uh, of his experience, of his career, like that's not a terrible price. But if he's not, if he ends up not being that good, it is a pretty high price. And so, but if we can get a rotation of Cascante, Vison and and Matt Hedges all together, like either playing in a back three or rotating in and out for one another, 
that is a really good group. I don't know. He 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 is like he's lost a little bit of a step, but he's so smart and experienced. And I watched uh watched some Y Scout clips of the games he played in this year. And there there are a few moments where he's going head to head with like a quick winger and gets gets beat a little bit. But more often than not, he's in the right place at the right time, doesn't let a guy turn on him, cuts out a pass before it ever develops, is making a run to cut off something before anybody else ever notices it. And so even though he does get beat for speed occasionally, he's such a smart and and experienced defender that I think even in the state he is right now, coming into this team, he will probably be the best defensive center back that has ever played for Austin FC. That will be our friend Brian, Brian Mangle. That will probably warm his heart to hear that about uh, yeah about Hedges that Austin's finally in, in, engaging and in, investing in a guy that actually plays defense. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. Brian <laughs> Brian likes to <laughs> likes to get on Julio all the time for uh, lack of defensive awareness, and for some reason defends Johan Romagna, which is a whole other discussion. I, where he, in the same breath, will will defend <laughs> Johan Romagna's defensive awareness and criticize Julio Cascantes for some reason. But uh, Matt, uh, Matt Hedges is not a guy that that is ever an issue with. Like he is keyed in and, and very aware of what is going on around him at all times, which is encouraging. Um, as far as the value goes, I mean, 500K in GAM, sending him that way, 770 some odd thousand dollars in salary. Do you feel like this is a decent value for him? I kind of do. I mean, I'm not at all worried about the. I'm not worried about the gam. I mean, we talked about sort of gamflation and how it's the numbers get bigger all the time just because there's more gam in the league. I'm not worried about that. If he is healthy, I'm not concerned about about that. But I think I think you you hit on the point where if he if he ages overnight or if he's not playing, then that becomes like a, another contract that's a burden. But I'm not super worried about it. Yeah, I I agree. I think. If you were to bring in someone of his caliber from overseas, it would the transfer fee would be way higher. The salary would probably be higher. Uh, and this this is kind of like that domestic domestic discount you get with a lot of MLS guys who have stuck around their whole career. That if they had a different name and were from a different country, they probably cost twice as much. But because they've always been here, you can kind of keep them around for for cheaper for whatever reason. Yeah, well, this was so. This one was not a Burrell signing, but do you want to talk about this Rodolfo Burrell um, interview with uh, Pablo Maurer in the Athletic? Oh yeah, um, it was it was interesting. It was it was kind of just like um, you see the Athletic post these interviews quite a bit, and a lot of what he said was, if you'd paid attention to the other interviews he's done so far, not all of it was entirely new, but there were a few parts that stood out about it and one of them being was let's see pablo asked him about what he thought of the league like what is uh how he like what he how much he knew about the league or something like that and burrell casually drops like oh yeah since 2015 when i first got approached about a job i've been staying up until like two in the morning and then started watching the western conference a few years later and staying up until six in the morning watching mls like regularly like not i've done that a couple of times like i've been doing that for the last seven or eight years <laughs> and i thought that was awesome like we we are concerned about a guy coming in and 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 like thinking he knows best because he's co- he's played or coached at these these really high levels and he seems to have a lot of humility about that and it's like i like 
I am a guy who does the work. I take my job very seriously and I do everything I can to make sure I'm very good at it. And he's been preparing for eight years for a job that he didn't have yet. And he just kind of thought like, maybe I'll get a job in MLS one time. So I better stay up until six in the morning and watch every game, <laughs> which I, I love. I love that about him. Yeah. And he specifically talked about knowing that he can't come in as a person who treats MLS as an inferior league. It's probably from that experience. Um, but he, he talked about how um, he knew he needed to be humble and needed to, to put in the effort, which I loved. Uh, the other part that stood out to me is that he kind of doubled down on on his endorsement of Wolf, and he said, not entirely like not entirely unprompted, but Pablo did not ask the question like, "How do you rate Josh Wolf?" or "What are you?" He just like mentioned Wolf's name, and Burrell said, "If Josh wouldn't have been the head coach right now, I would not be joining Austin FC." And he's like, he said, "I didn't need a job. I'm like." It wasn't like I was out of a job and needed to have this thing. I wanted to take the right job. And part of the reason why I thought Austin was the right job is because Josh Wolf is the coach. And I thought that stood out. The the fact that like we all said, like in the initial press conference, like, of course, he's going to say that, like, he's got to say that. But to bring it up unprompted again and double down and go out of his way to say that this is one of the big reasons why I'm here. Um, I think, I think that means something and I don't, I don't think it necessarily means that like Josh Wolf is the best coach and he is the exact right guy for what I want to do. I don't think it necessarily means that, but I do think it means like Burrell didn't want to take over any team and try to implement this style of play from scratch and kind of do play the way that he wanted to play and like the Manchester city Barcelona way at any team. He knows that Josh Wolf has been implementing that at every level of the club for the last three years and so by coming into that system that's already in place he can just make little tweaks and kind of improve what's already happening as as opposed to starting from scratch and i think that has as much to do with why josh wolf was important to this decision as it is about josh wolf as a coach himself yeah he talks a lot about identity and the importance of a club having an identity and that came through and this club definitely has one um, did you watch this bananas Austin FC two Colorado match when the nieces were in town or did you, I had did you it on, it? I watched pretty intently most of the first half. And then as the second half was going, we were like trying to wrangle them to do something, go to, I don't, I don't know. I think going to dinner or something like that. And so the second half, I was not paying as close of attention. Uh, so didn't quite see like exactly why things went wrong, but three nil at half. It ends three three. Just kind of all of a sudden, it was like I don't, I don't really know how that happened, but it was wild. Yeah, these second half goals, like there's a PK, it's a check to Ray own goal, and then Austin ends up not getting the second point in 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 um in the shootout. But it's disappointing since it was on the road and it was a chance to pick up points against the Rapids. But I would imagine that's a learning experience, if nothing else. Yeah, you think so, and like watching the game it was like Colorado's supposed to be the best team in the league like how is this happening and then the second half comes around I was like oh okay never mind um what one takeaway I did that I thought was interesting is uh a few like David Rodriguez has been out with an unspecified injury for several games now um and so missing him on the wing they've been playing Micah Burton there quite a bit for the last few games and I don't think he's looked very good playing on the wing so far uh, in this game, 
they swapped Valentin Noel and Michael Burton. Michael Burton was playing as one of the dual tins alongside uh, Steve Louis-Jean. And then Val Noel was playing on the right wing. And he was kind of operating as like that Diego Fagundes playmaking winger kind of role. And then Michael was playing inside and kind of uh, combining with him there. And it, it worked really well in the first half. And so I'm curious if that was something that we'll talk about Noel getting his debut for Austin, Austin FC first team. But I'm curious if that's a thing that they're trying to get him work on because that's that's where they maybe see his way into the first team or if they just thought like tactically for that game or for going forward, like that's going to be the right combination is just switch, switching those two guys and seeing how it works. But um, yeah, it, it looked a lot better than, than it has with Mike on the field in the last few games. Well, that's good. Well, you're, you're ready to take a break and then we're going to get into this Mazatlan performance of sorts. Yeah, I guess we have to. So uh, we'll take a short break and come right back to talk about that one. No Our soccer is brought to you by our friends at FBF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FBF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. You can go to FBF.law to find out what makes FBF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FBF.law. Amplify Credit Union is a member-owned financial cooperative that's served the needs of Central Texans for over five decades. Amplify's team lives and works in the community, making them the experts on how members can achieve their financial goals. What makes Amplify different? No bank fees. Amplify is the first financial institution in Texas to put an end to bank fees. In 2022, Americans paid almost $8 billion in overdraft fees alone. Millennials paid an average $336 a year in bank fees, which works out to six Austin FC game tickets per person per season. You'll pay none of those bank fees with Amplify Credit Union. How many land sharks does that buy you on the beach in Destin, Jeremiah? Uh, about 25, I think. <laughs> on the beach, at beach price. <laughs> Amplify membership is open to any Texas resident, even if they're on vacation in Florida. Learn to trust your bank again at Amplify Credit Union. To learn more, go to www.goamplify.com slash moontower. All right, we are back to talk about Austin FC's first ever Leagues Cup match against Mazatlan. Uh, Austin came into this game, we just say the score, ended up 3-1. to The first little stretch of this game did not feel like that was going to be what happened. I don't know how you felt about it, but I thought Austin kind of controlled the game for the first little bit of it. Mazatlan was struggling to gain momentum, and like the Austin FC quote-unquote system seemed to be working not in so much as like we're getting a lot of really good shots on goal or anything like that, but we are getting into good spots where there were opportunities to get in behind, to make plays to, uh, and, and there were some opportunities to get some good shots and just several times we either didn't execute well enough when we did get into that final, like that final move or we would have the opportunity to move into an area and not see a pass or not have enough effort or urgency to benefit from being in those areas. And that happened over and over and over for the first 20 or 30 minutes. As we're going into halftime, Mazatlan starts to show a little bit more confidence. They get a little bit more momentum. 
And going into halftime, although it was nil-nil, it started to make me very nervous that Austin had kind of squandered its chance to to take advantage of them uh, struggling to get into the game early on. And we talked about that with that Kansas City game, how they they had rotated. Austin needs to take advantage of their best players not being in the field. Mazatlan also rotated in this game. They did. They, it's like three to five guys who have not been starting for them that started in this game, including their captain, who's a center back. Who I don't think ever came on in this game, but um, in against Sporting Kansas City, Austin was able to take advantage, get some early goals, and and see out the rest of the game. They did not do it, and I think it came down to um, sharpness and execution and effort, just straight up effort. There's, uh, I'm I'm going to pick on Adam Lundqvist here, not to say that he's the only guy who played poorly or did not show enough effort. I think you could say that about almost every player on the field. But an example for Lundqvist was he played it out wide to, I think Fagundes, and you know often. The one of the fullbacks will play it wide and then make that underlapping run and kind of run up the field in behind. And he he makes that run is not making it super quickly, but there's space there. And Fagundes sees the space and sees the run and plays the ball. But Lundqvist was just kind of jogging and not really make like he was kind of going. It seemed like he was going through the motions. Like I'm supposed to make this run now, but I don't actually want the ball. I don't actually want to get the ball in behind. I'm just going to run and make a little bit of space and Diego can play it behind me and someone else can do it. And I felt like there was a lot of that kind of mentality um, in the first half for Austin as it's like, I'm a little bit tired. It's really hot. I'm I'll go through the motions, but we seem to be doing okay enough that like, it'll be fine. We'll, we'll, we'll end up, pulling this one out and it didn't go that way. Cause like Mazatlan came into it. Austin started to flag as the game went on, got really tired. Mazatlan just didn't seem to, they got more, more, uh, more confidence, more momentum. And they get that goal right after the, the second half starts and everything changes from there. Yeah. Especially, well, I guess I don't know if we want to get into the goals now, but yeah, the second, like you said, the second half, like Austin was flagging, the effort wasn't there. And then, you know, once the goal finally comes, Austin gets punched in the mouth and like whatever excitement momentum comes right out of it. But yeah, it was disappointing overall. Like they didn't create a lot of opportunities. Uh, Austin only got, well, I guess each team only got 10 shots. Um, Mazatlan, five on target, Austin only three. And just the, the attack with, I mean, with some good reason because there were a lot of pieces missing in the attack, but like the attack was just not crisp at all. Yeah, um, let's let's actually go back and talk about the lineup before we get into the goals. So, uh, Stuver and goal, the back line was mostly the same with Cascante and Keller as the center backs. Nick Lima as your right back, and then since I'm guessing since John Gallagher had been away at All Star and played 45 minutes midweek, they wanted to rest him a little bit, so they played Adam Lundqvist. Uh, Danny Pereira and Sebastian Drusi were not in the game day 23, so your central midfielders were. Um, Valencia and Wolf and then Fagundes moved inside to play that Drusi role. And then you had Zardes as the nine and then Redes and Finley as your wingers. Uh, looking at the rest of the bench, we had Valentin Noel, Damian Loss and CJ Fodre all in from Austin FC two. Um, Noel ended up actually seeing the field, which was uh, I guess one constellation from from the night to see him make his debut. Yeah, and then, uh, but like, not not that he did a whole lot, but it was cool that he made yeah. it. 
Um, but like looking at this 11, a lot of, there was a lot of talk about like rotating and maybe like, uh, not throwing the game, but not playing your strongest 11 just to kind of like save legs. That's not what they did, right? It, it was not like our best 11, but it was the best available 11. Yeah, absolutely. There's no other, nobody on the bench that I would have put in other than Gallagher who was just traveling back other than the guys that were in the game. So I really think it should have been an 11 that was better than Mazelon. Yeah. And uh, again, like they were, they were better for, I want to say, I don't, I don't remember exactly how long this, this went, but I want to say like 20 or 30 minutes, they were the better team. And, um, and, and this doesn't, I know like a loss in a tournament like this is going to have the wolf out crowd fired up. But uh, as far as like playing, like putting a team on the field and the, the tactics that we rolled out, I don't think there was anything wrong with any of that. Like the system was working. The players were just not showing the effort or the sharpness to execute against it. Uh, I, I, I guess there's an argument to be made for like motivation in these tournaments, whatever, for whatever reason, Austin FC has been very bad in these, these extra tournaments and have not been able to get up for the occasion. And I, I think it would be fair to, to include Wolf in the blame for that part of it, but it wasn't like he put out a, a two rotated squad. It wasn't like the tactics weren't the right thing. Cause they were working for a while. It was straight up execution and um, I, I think you could probably say like the roster rotated itself with injuries, right? Like not having Vison and not having <laughs> right Drusi or Pereira in there as the game went on, like that started to show more than anything is like, we can't be very good without most of those three guys, like Fagundes, Stuver, Pereira, Drusi, like, if we're missing two or more of those guys, we're in a rough spot. Yeah, and I think that honestly speaks more to the roster build and maybe the f- reason that Burrell is here than than anything else, anything about the coach, at least at this point. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Um, all right, let's get into these goals. So the first one comes in the 49th minute. There's a cross from the left-hand side that gets headed out by Cascante, but not very far. Falls to Josue Colman, who had had a really good night. Colman was was really good for Mazatlan for this whole game, really. Um, he's ends up able to dribble through a couple of players. Nobody can win the ball off of him. Gets a really quick, hard shot off to the far corner that I think probably there's some traffic in the box. We, we had enough numbers there to stop it and just... Um, like well executed by Coleman, but you'd hope for like Valencia slides in and misses the ball and, and Coleman's able to dribble around him. You'd hope for them to be able to do a little bit better, but I, I think because of that traffic, it kind of backfires and catches Brad Stuver a little bit blind, Uh, really hard, well-placed shot to the back, like the back top corner and Stuver can't save it. Um, And yeah, after that, you, you see Mazatlan's, uh, confidence just go way up and and like the goals change games thing is is very very true and we saw it in this game where um they just they looked like they were not going to give up after that and they didn't and uh just the energy momentum like austin looked looked leggy for the whole game but after that it just got even worse uh almost got bailed out in the 65th minute with a diego fagundes penalty 
Um, it was some nice combination play on the right side for between Finley, Wolf, and Lima. Uh, that finds Ethan Finley in behind, goes in on like kind of a 50-50 with, with Bayo, their left winger, I think it was. It was a fair challenge at first, but then Bayo falls to his falls to the ground and his feet kind of catch Finley's heel from behind. Finley goes down. Uh like Ethan Finley did make a, a bit of a meal of this. Um, but I think with the contact there, they went to VAR, ended up giving the penalty. It's like not a hard foul, but I think from what we saw, I think it's one that you almost have to give, don't you think? Yeah, I agree. And if our it was not a given on the field originally, right? Was it the VAR? It, it was not. It yeah, VAR, VAR had okay. to give it, yeah. But when you see him, I think he caught him maybe even the calf with both feet. So when you see it in slow motion on replay, I do think it becomes obvious that it is a play that deserves that kind of call, um, but also a lot of fortune for Austin to get there. Although, we'll see here in a minute, they didn't take great advantage of it. Yeah. Um, Diego Fagundes beats the keeper with his shot. Uh, guessed the right way, but just a really well-placed take um beats the keeper celebrates in the keeper's face uh <laughs> did did you have any problem with it i know there's like some some backlash online with fagundes and austin fc were catching some heat from the mazatlan community for various reasons do you have any problem with diego celebrating in the guy's face there i've got no problem with that it's 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 sport it's competition it's fine yeah he, he said i saw him post on twitter later on saying that like uh, like the keeper was talking trash and was like stepping up to the spot and trying to like intimidate him and all that. And so, um, I, I also, I don't have any problem with it. Fagundes is the kind of guy that like, he'll, he'll dish it out, but I think he's a guy who can take it as well. And so I think Fagundes knows going into it, that like this could come back and bite me, but I'm fine with that. I'll, I'll take that when it and, comes. And he's, he, he'll take the risk. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in that, in that situation, I'm fine with it. Um, Two minutes later, uh, it seems like I just like we get that goal. And I'm like, this is the moment. Like we can come back and do this. And Austin FC just did not have any energy. We're not showing any urgency. And they're able to get in behind us. They get to the inline. There's a cutback. Owen Wolf has a really poor clearance on that cutback pass. It falls to Montano. Um, and it's like in the area where Owen, like had Owen Wolf not been on the ground, making a poor clearance, he would have been the guy to kind of close that down. And by making the poor clearance, puts himself in a tough situation. Montano takes one touch, kind of touches it across his body, takes a left footed shot towards the near post and, and puts it into the back of the net. And I've seen some, some criticism of Stuver for this game. If you watch his posture on the replay, just before this shot goes off. There's like one angle they showed on the replay from behind and you can see him kind of up on his toes and kind of like moving his head over to the side. I think he had a hard time seeing what was happening with the ball and had guys towards his back post. And so he couldn't cheat one way or the other too much. And the shot gets taken quickly. And so I think he like, I'll give Stuver the benefit of the doubt there just for how good he usually is to say that he was probably caught a little bit blind there. Maybe he could have done better on it. I don't know, but it, it was a really, it was a hard, well-placed shot. I think it was going to be hard to stop regardless. And if you catch it, if it catches you a little bit blind, even harder than. Yeah, on this one, I'm surprised it was two minutes later. It seemed like the ball, like they pulled the ball out of the back of the net almost and went straight down the field. Um, 
because it was just such a momentum killer. That was one of those where like the stands had not finished celebrating the previous goal when suddenly the awesome is back down two to one. And I think you're right. Like it just really sucked the energy out of the club. Not that there there's, there's one, Oh, I guess at least one other decent chance here um, that we need to talk about. Yeah. So in the 72nd minute, there's a well-worked play that finds red driving into the box. He plays uh, a low hard ball into the six yard box that finds Bruin and he stretches out a leg and puts it in watching the replay. He's like a yard and a half offside. And so uh, that like the stadium erupted. And then as soon as we saw the flag deflated again, but watching it back, like Bruin needs to be more aware on that. Like he, he hasn't even close and he has a view of all the defenders. So it's not like he didn't know who was there. He's running for six or seven yards offside and doesn't hold up, doesn't like check back at all. And what's even more frustrating is the same, like Rodney Reddes plays that same ball and Will Bruin jumps over it or just falls back out of the formation there. Uh, I think that exact same ball finds Diego Fagundes at the back post who was making a run and was onside. And so that it's like, it's uh, hindsight's 2020 here, but it's frustrating to see Bruin be so far offside and like not even clock it or try to check back or slow up his run a little bit there. Yeah. And then, um, that was kind of it. Uh, Mazatlan would pick up another goal. Um, yeah, it kind of didn't matter at that point though. Right. It's kind of a mess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the only thing, Oh, Owen was really bad overall. I feel like Owen was really bad on this goal specifically too. Yeah. This one, um, it's like legs as dead as they've been throughout the whole game. Uh, Austin FC attacking play is busted on, on their end. Mazatlan counters. And we've got like three or four guys back. The rest of the recovery is so slow. Everyone's coming back really slowly. And Mazalan has three or four players in the end with Austin on their heels. And there's some like, I think everyone thinks there's like options in the middle uncovered. And so everyone's waiting for a cutback. And instead they cleverly uh, slip a ball in behind for Bayo. And it looks like he's offside to start with, but on the replay, Owen Wolf's heel is keeping him on just because he was a little bit slow to catch up with the rest of the line stepping uh, to make that offside line. And uh, they didn't, they didn't even go to review on this, like the, that, which really confused me in the stadium at the time, but um, they called offside the ref had his finger to his ear and then just gave the goal, uh, which really confused me. But I mean, looking at the replay, I understand why it was very clearly still on side, but yeah. yeah, I mean, that was the end of the game, but like, really, it didn't feel like we were going to come back from that. Um, I, on Twitter after the game, I was criticizing the referee and I had some people talk about like some of the calls that they got right. And I was like, Oh no, I, I didn't think they got everything wrong. But there were some really egregious things throughout the night that um, like, I don't think changed the game. Like, I'm not the kind of person to say if we'd have gotten this one call, like that would have been the difference. And I think if we had gotten all of these calls, all like five or six of these that I thought were egregiously incorrect, I still think we would have lost. But it's still frustrating to watch like professional referees get this many calls wrong. There's two or three like yellow card worthy fouls. One, or I think in the first half, Finley beats a guy like at the edge of the box is cutting in on his left foot and has guys in the box, has an angle to shoot. And this guy just grabs his Jersey and falls down and they call nothing. 
Like that is a clear yellow and the the ref is not far from it. The assistant ref is not is like right on line with it looking at it. No call. Uh, there's another one where a guy comes through and cleans out Owen Wolf and the center ref had his back to it and like kind of watched the ball go away. But the the linesman was right there looking right at it. And like it looked like the linesman was like making eye contact with the center ref after it. And it looked like they kind of had an exchange and it just let it go. And it's like, you have to stop play there. Like it's, it's amazing that you see that and just say, nope, this is fine. We'll, we'll let it go. And I think it ended up, for, it was like a dangerous chance on the other end for Mazatlan. And then talking about, this is, this is less about this game specifically, but just refereeing in general, where in the second half, there's four goals there's a water break there's two var checks and then a moment for a while where the ref seemed to just be like meandering around the field for three or four minutes not really doing anything and not letting play go on not letting subs come in and whenever they hold up the the added time sign it says six and like you remember in the last world cup where they were like being really like to the to the t with with extra time you're getting 10 you think that's 12 like a, like a 12 minutes. minute yeah yeah this would have been a 12 minute in the world cup and we got six which again i don't i don't think it would have mattered i think austin would have lost this one but it's really frustrating to see refs be so poor at their job yeah who else so who who performed well so the, ref, the refs are bad the attack was bad owen wolf was pretty bad yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I thought almost everyone was bad. Uh, Johan Valencia, I thought, had a decent game. He was um, being pretty disruptive in the midfield at times. Uh, decent game, progressing the ball. Um, and I, I and talk, uh, going into the next player I'm going to talk about, I think when we talk about performances, it's all relative to the player oftentimes when we do this. And so we have different standards for certain players. And so Diego Fagundes, although he had an okay game, like in this game, he has to be the guy. Like he has to be the one to carry this team with with Drew UC out of the team with uh, with Danny not there. He has to be the guy. And like he was fine, good enough at times, but like he did not step up and was not the guy um, that we needed him to be on the night. And again, that, that sounds harsh, but it's, it's just, we have to hold him to a different standard. And I think he probably holds himself to a different standard. And so even though I think he played better than some of, some of the other people on the field, um, it still wasn't quite good enough, but, uh, yeah, I mean, outside of that, I think one of the bigger stories is injuries in this game. So Jossie Zardes comes out in the like 18th minute. Maxi Ruti comes on. Maxi Ruti ends up subbing out later in the game. And so in the post-game press conference, Josh Wolf is acting like Zardes is going to be out for a while with an adductor injury. And then if Aruti is also injured, like what is what does striker look like for the next uh I mean the next game immediately, but then after that, like how long are these guys out and what is it going to look like after that? Yeah, well, so the Maxi thing is super interesting because I was just reading this tweet from Michelle Sanchez from a couple days ago, and Maxi says he doesn't know why he came out and that he doesn't believe that he's injured. So there's like some discrepancy there. That interesting, I'm very interested to to read about. But yeah, yeah Maxi says honestly, I have no idea why the change. I'm here for the team. I'll give the maximum effort. Is what he said after Josh very specifically said he was he was hurt 
basically along the same lines as Giassi, and that's why he came out. Interesting. I did not see that from Michelle, but that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> just just another weird thing in a season of weird things, I think. Um yeah, I mean, yeah, in that case, like if he wasn't actually hurt in the moment, like the only thing I could say is like maybe he was kind of struggling with something in training or whatever. And now that Zardes is out, they know Maxi might have to go longer in the next game. And so they want to save him. But it's weird that they wouldn't just say that instead of saying he was injured. Yeah. Um, and then um, just, I guess the, the overall narrative, like Austin seems to have issues in cup matches. I believe I've said that Austin is embarrassing the entire league with a performance and defeat against Mazatlan and Violet together. Uh, what do you make of all this? I I mean, as far as like strictly looking at the statement Austin is lost to Mazatlan, I don't think that is embarrassing. I think because I mean, Liga Mekis is considered, I think, by most people to be a higher level league than MLS. And so, like, Austin FC could very easily lose to the worst team in MLS on any given weekend. And so the fact that we could lose to the worst team in, in Liga Mekis on a given weekend, that doesn't seem that weird or embarrassing to me. I think what they should be embarrassed of is their performance and their effort on the night. That was embarrassing. Well, did you want to talk about any other players before we uh, preview the Juarez match and maybe look at what the season looks like going forward? Um, I mean, yeah, it's cool to see Valentino well get into the game. Um, I mean, other than that, it, not a lot stood out in a good or a bad way. It was just like everything was pretty bad. All right. Well, let's in that case, let's go ahead and take a break and we will talk about Juarez. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by Covert Ford. The Coverts have been meeting the needs of local car buyers for 114 years because of their service, financial expertise, and support after the sale. In addition to supporting car buyers, Covert's an important part of the soccer community and the official automotive partner of Austin FC. Right now, Covert has a deal on a 2023 Ford F-150 XL Super Crew, stock number 223-0076. The MSRP is 53815, but with dealer discounts and package savings, it can be yours for only $45,299, plus tax title and license. Also, with approved Ford credit, you can get it for 0% APR over 36 months or 3.9% over 60 months. If you're in the market for a new or used vehicle, be sure to check out CovertFord.com. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by Sage Wilson Realty. Thanks to Sage Wilson Realty, we'll be giving away two tickets to an upcoming match. So fill out the form in the show notes and enter for your chance to win. Again, this is made possible by Sage Wilson Realty. So if you or someone you know are in need of Sage real estate advice in Austin, talk to our friends at Sage Wilson Realty. Be sure to check them out online at sagewilson.com. All right. So we just talked about the Mazatlan uh, game. Mazatlan and Juarez are going to be playing in Austin on Tuesday night. Uh, where does this put Austin FC in the the group table at the moment? So what Austin FC needs out of this is for Mazatlan to win and Austin to beat Juarez over the weekend, or otherwise things get very, very strange and confusing in a way that we could not figure out between the two of us from looking at the tiebreaker rules right before we started recording. Yeah, Austin FC fans need to be hoping for a Mazatlan win because 
if if that is what happens, then all Austin needs to do is win and you're through. I think there's a, a scenario within all of this where a draw also gets you through, but um, it, it puts Austin's fate in its own hands. If if Juarez beats Mazatlan, it gets super messy uh, and maybe really complicated for Austin to advance here. So, um, yeah, Tuesday is going to going to tell a lot about what Austin FC's future looks like in this tournament. So we one thing we know about for the weekend that you touched on this, but uh, again, Austin's going to be playing short staff. So it seems like there's a pretty good chance that Giassi's not going to be available. So Danny Pereira has a sprain and a weakness, so he's kind of iffy. Rigoni's three plus weeks out. Triusi seems it was individual work at the end of the week, so he may or may not be back. And then Vicenin, we got sort of an injury blow here where he's going to be out for possibly another two months, which is probably part of the reason why Hedges comes in. So there's a lot of talent and a lot of money being spent on people who are not going to be on the field. Yeah, um, I am going to be interested to see if uh, I think on Tuesday or Wednesday night when Toronto plays their first League's Cup match, it'll be interesting to see if Matt Hedges... I, I mean it's the moon tower curse we're recording on monday night so this is almost certainly going to get announced on tuesday morning. come out tomorrow yeah uh but if it's not i'd be very curious to like be looking at the the toronto fc lineup for that first league club match and is matt hedges in it if we haven't gotten an announcement then that might be a good sign but um even if even if he does come now like it's going to be hard to to know like in these circumstances, maybe he would come and step straight into the lineup, but just given Josh Wolf's track record, like it seems hard to believe that he's going to practice with a guy for two days and then put him in the lineup. So sort of given this injury situation, if you were in charge, do you, do you play your best 11? Do you hope for a good outcome? Or do you just like take the next three weeks off and heal up and, and, and hope for a strong run into the rest of the season? It was up to you. What do you do? Uh, I th- I think you you really look at the uh, the result between Mazatlan and Juarez and see where you are in that table. If Juarez wins and it, it's going to be like Austin needs to win three nil in order to go through or something like that, like I think then maybe like okay anybody who's like didn't sleep well the night before, like you get benched, give, give me a break, <laughs> yeah, and just like play like play safe as far as like health goes um i was not a proponent of that at the start of this tournament but like we've stacked the deck against ourselves if that gets stacked even more against us with the this other result then i think like okay let's let's like cut our losses here but if it if it is a situation where like austin fc needs a win to get through to the next round uh i'd say again still don't push anybody who's who's maybe even iffy on injuries but um, aside from that, play a team that you think that you think is the most competitive without risking health and and try to win it. Because again, why not? Like if we lose, we're we're sitting out for for two or three weeks after that. So um I don't think that's useful to a team. Like one week, sure, that's helpful at this point in the season, but three weeks is not really. So I, I think it's not gonna hurt us to try to play one more week if if that is seems like it's on the table to be taken. Yeah, I think that's the way I would approach it too because three weeks does seem like a long time right now to sit out. And I wonder if some of these teams that get knocked out early, the MLS sides will end up like maybe playing friendlies against each other or something just to keep 
keep in matte shape. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw that um, in the League's Cup rules that they're not allowed to play friendlies, but I imagine that has more to do with like drawing attendance away from League's Cup games. So maybe if they did it behind doors, that that wouldn't be against the rules. Like two teams that are out of the tournament. Okay, let's play. Let's play a friendly against each other. I don't know. Well, let's. Let's talk about Juarez, which um, imagine we can both admit we don't know a ton about. I don't know if, how much research you've done on them. I like read as many articles as I could find, including the striker preview of the of the um, League's Cup is going to be generally my knowledge around uh, around the team. Well, tell us everything you know, and then I'll see if I can fill in any gaps <laughs> okay. with the Y Scout footage I watched today. <laughs> okay, so they they finished 16th in the Clausura last year, uh, probably generally considered to have the biggest roster overhaul of any team in the summer in Liga MX, uh, brought in a new executive, brought in a uh, sporting director, brought in a new coach, I think brought in several new players, um, and or have got off to an impressive start in the second. I always mess this up in the aperture in the opening part of this campaign, uh, with victories at club America and Toluca. Uh, so they're off to a good start. Um, people should not take them lightly because they are better than they performed last season. Yeah, looking at um, some of their standout players, I know. I know for like for Mazatlan, there was some names that engaged MLS fans would have recognized, but not that many and not really big names. It's a little bit more recognizable on this one. So um, you've got Chaka Rodriguez, who U.S. and Mexican national team fans will know because he played a lot for the Mexican national team over the last several years, played for Tigres for a while. Uh, and they have a lot of guys who have played previously for really big teams in Mexico who are now playing for Juarez, which is a newer and, and considered somewhat of a smaller team, uh, but have a lot of pedigree as far as their players go. So Chaka Rodriguez, they've got, um, oh, what is his name? Uh, Aviles Hurtado, who has played for some big Mexican teams. Um, you mentioned Aitor Garcia. Sorry, I didn't think you mentioned. You put it in the notes here. Aitor Garcia is a Spanish uh, attacker who has looked good in the footage I've seen. They have a winger named um, Agustin Ursi, who is uh, from Argentina, I believe. He's a pretty exciting attacker. And then also uh, hardcore U.S. national team fans will recognize this name, but Bofo Saucedo, who played for uh u.s youth national teams and kind of flirted with the first team for a while but never really panned out has has had a pretty good career in mexico plays for juarez now and looks like a really dangerous uh winger in this system so um have some some big-ish names and some really strong attackers playing in the team also another name alfredo talavera who has played a lot of games for the mexican national team He's their captain, uh, good goalkeeper, but he got a concussion in their last league match, so probably not going to be back for this tournament. Um, I'm not; I don't know anything about the backup, so we'll see what he looks like. But as far as their playing style, they they have the nickname Bravos, and I think that is a very apt nickname for this team. They have some some good attacking talent, and they play they play boldly with the ball, to put it. Uh, in a word, but they play, I'll, I'll say the word direct, not in the sense, usually when we're talking about direct in soccer, it means like long balls, route one stuff. They don't play direct that way as much, but when they get into the attacking third, they 
absolutely go for it. They'll shoot from distance. They'll throw numbers into the box and just attack with a lot of gusto going forward. And so they beat America in the, the season opener this just a few weeks ago with two long distance shots kind of out of nowhere, like against the run of play. And so they really go for it with the ball, but they can also be caught out because of that. They watching, watching them play, they seem to be uh, pretty easily pulled out of shape with ball movement. And so it's a thing that Austin can take advantage of. And like, they need to capitalize on that early in the game. Like they didn't do against Mazatlan because there are chances to be had and they just didn't take them. And so if they can do that against this team, I think they stand a chance, but if they, they put on a performance and don't like unable to, to get any chances or, or goals in the first half, this team like fights and will, and will send everything they have into the attack as, as a, as a game looks like it's there to be had. And uh, that scares me if Austin gets into that situation against this team. So you mentioned that it, a lot of it just comes down to execution for Austin and taking advantage of the, the opportunities they have, especially early on. Given the health situation, like, is there reason to believe that Austin will do anything differently? Um, like, what, like, what, what is it? What is a different outcome? Is it just the players? The players try harder. Like what? What? What do you see? Honestly, yes. Thing that'll change. Honestly, yes. They just need to try harder because it's not like I said. The, the system was not broken. They were getting good opportunities and just not capitalizing on them. So, if you just run a little bit harder, like, like focus, concentration, execution. These are things that like the players have to just do. Like you can't coach it. You can't like. I don't, and we've seen it from them is the frustrating thing. If we just, if they just weren't good enough, then that's fine. But we've seen these exact players do these exact things in these exact scenarios and they're, they just didn't do it and they just don't do it sometimes. And so I don't know if the heat's getting to them. If, um, if maybe there is something to like, not like the coaching staff and Wolf not getting them prepared for these other tournaments or whatever. I don't know what it is, but there's something there where it's, it really is focus and concentration and effort is the only difference between this and the other games that they've played. That's super frustrating. I guess that was the theme too. I think throughout the postgame press conference that like Stuver talked about and Wolf talked about and others. And well, Stuver like specifically was visibly frustrated, I think after the match. So um, hopefully with a week in between these last performance and this one, Austin will be able to sort of get their head right and be able to do to perform differently than they did against Mazatlan, where it will make for another very disappointing cup performance. And we'll just yeah. sort of embolden the people who are, tend to be super critical of the way that Austin approaches cups with good reason so far. Yeah. Um, our, I guess you're out of town. I'm trying to decide. I'm, I'm leaving town the end of this week. I'm tempted to go to the Mazatlan Juarez game just because it's, it's like a cool soccer game happening in town that is like uh, actually competitive. So I'm tempted to go, but uh, I don't know if I'll actually make it out or not. Take it. Are you going to take a press pass or just going to go? No, I'll just go. I, like I said, the fact that you can't drink beer in the press box is kind of a deal breaker, especially That's when I don't, like, I don't need to be up in the press box to do what we do. So uh, I'd rather sit out in the stands and drink beer. <laughs> but <laughs> on the other hand, air conditioning. That's true for sure. Um, all right. Anything else before we wrap up, Jeremiah? No, let's go ahead and wrap it up. All right. Uh, before we finish, we'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, come find us on 
X. Is that what the website is called now? I don't know. My, my app is, is still Twitter, so I'm just going to go with it until I see something else. I'm going to type in twitter.com until that stops working, but you can do the same. Type in twitter.com. Find me at LVHero87, Jeremiah at Bentley underscore ATX, and then uh, Moon Tower Soccer on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, what's the other one called? Threads. Threads. YouTube and Threads. Oh, oh and YouTube too. <laughs> yeah. Um, sign up for the Patreon. We'll send you some cool stuff. Visit the Striker website with the code MoonTower23 with a capital M to get a discount. Jeremiah, what can folks look out for there? Yeah, there's good Leagues Cup coverage from across the tournament, not just for Austin. So, be sure to check that out and get some insight into some clubs that you maybe have never seen play. Uh, you can learn a little bit about so you sound smart in front of your friends. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week to review the FC Juarez match and then uh, maybe preview a knockout round match. Maybe we'll do an interview and some listener questions or something. Uh, but until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll get you next time. When no one is around. Think for nothing, you never. La gente. Oh my God.